Hello, boils and ghouls, and welcome back to Crypt Speakers, a Tales from the Crypt podcast. I'm your co-ghost, Jay Tyler, and with me is... Sussy Korea. Hello. Hello, Sussy. How are you doing today? I'm good. I just noticed that you just said co-ghost and not co-host. I did say co-ghost. I'm glad you caught my... <laughs> co- I, this, I, I don't think I've done that before. I thought about doing it before, but today is the day I, I like have the confidence it. to do it. I like it. Um, even though so far we've not had any ghost stories, uh, but it just feels like a thing that'll eventually come up. Yeah. Um, so we've done it. We went through the whole first season of the show. We're going to do the last episode today. And then uh, later this week or next week, we're going to have a little recap of the whole season. But we're going to, but I just want to give you a, you know, social distance high five for getting through this <laughs> first six episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's same. not a huge accomplishment, but I feel good about it. Yeah. It feels. It feels good to have yeah. an entire season just just yeah. done mm-hmm. out of the and way. I th- and, I th- and I feel like I- I'm sure the show matures and changes over time, but I feel like coming out of these six episodes, I have a better sense of what the show was than I did going in for sure. Yeah, um, I'm, but I'm still interested enough that I I want to watch the rest of. Oh yeah, the yeah. Seasons. I'm not done. By yeah. Any means. Yeah, uh, but I think, but I think I have a better like grounding underneath me. It's like, okay, these things are going to be all over the place. They're going to be weird, but we'll talk about that next week. Today, we'll talk. We're talking about our final episode of this season, collection completed, which is a first as it has our first female director, Mary Lambert. I also um, noticed I could be wrong, but it also seemed like the first team of writers. Yes, we'll get into that. I want to talk about the the right the weird cadre of writers for this one. Um so but first I want to go into Mary Lambert. So Mary Lambert, um, like our last episode, um or no, two episodes ago, um Also not the, to be confused with the singer, Mary Lambert. Yes, yes, not to be confused, yes. Much like the Tom Holland we have discussed before is not Spider Man, this is not the singer Mary Lambert. This is a Director who, uh, primarily at the beginning of her career, was really known for doing a lot of music videos. You know, sort of in the late 80s, that's how you became, like, you know, that's where David Fincher started. That's where a lot of hot directors coming out of the late 80s, early 90s, like, cut their teeth in music videos in the way that previous generation directors had cut their teeth in commercials. Music videos kind of became this, like, calling card that you could use to get into, like, film jobs. So. Mary Lambert had actually directed a bunch of Madonna's videos, including Like a Virgin. And the other one that I wanted to mention is one of my favorite music videos of all time. She directed the Like a Prayer music video. Oh, it's it's a great music video. It's incredible. Like, very controversial at the time, but also just one of those, like, most, these, like, choreographed and beautifully shot videos you can imagine. She also, this will be relevant to today's episode, she also directed Pet Cemetery, which, when when we get into what this episode is about, is very ironic. <laughs> um, is this? Uh, I assume that's not the most recent Pet Cemetery. No, no, this is the nineteen eighty the original adaptation, Pet Cemetery, nineteen eighty nine's Pet Cemetery, which you'll notice nineteen eighty nine she directs Pet Cemetery, the Like a Prayer video, and this episode. So. In 1989, wow. everything's coming up Mary Lambert. 
for nice. sure. Get it, girl. Yep. Yeah, she's she's having a great end of the eighties. Uh, she would later go on to direct Pet Cemetery Two in nineteen ninety two, and then just kind of flit around doing different you know TV directing jobs, like like getting consistent work, but nothing. I think Pet Cemetery is probably and all those Madonna videos is the highest profile mm-hmm. credit of hers. So. I did notice <laughs> that uh, she did she directed an episode of Arrow. So that she did. Her... Yeah, I know you're a big Arrowhead, <laughs> so I thought yes. that would, I knew that would stand out to you. <laughs> Uh, one episode, but yeah, she did direct an episode of Arrow. Yeah, good for her. Um, and yes, as you mentioned, this is the first time we've had not one, not two, but technically three writers. Now I'm going to get into this. So the the credited writers on this are Randolph Davis, the incredibly named Battle Davis, and then a guy named A. Whitney Brown. Now, the way it's written is it's Battle Davis and Ampersand Randolph Davis, which means that they wrote a script together. Mm-hmm. And so, as far as like, so Battle Davis is was primarily an editor. He died in 1994, so this is his only writing credit. And he wrote this with Randolph Davis, and I I scoured the internet. I could not figure out. I'm assuming they're brothers. That I'm assuming they're related in some way. I don't think father and son. I'm assuming brothers, but I don't know that for sure. But it, but they wrote a script together adapting this tales this um old EC comic story. Randolph Davis does have a couple other comedy writing credits to his name, including the uh final police academy film, Police Academy Six Mission to Moscow, which was barely released in theaters. So very scant credits for both these guys. Certainly only, Battle Davis's only uh writing credit. Randolph Davis has like a handful more writing credits, but very few overall. Um, and then A. Whitney Brown. And so, and then after that, you have A and D, A. Whitney Brown, who was a guy who was an SNL writer from 1985 to 1991. Um, so you have this director who's coming from music videos and a hot horror movie franchise directing a script that seems to be written primarily by comedy writers. Yeah, that that seems that they are definitely like taking more of a comedic approach and her background is not necessarily in those particular beats, which I think will feed into some of the weird tone that this episode has. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I remember correctly, when you see writing credits of so and so and so and so comma someone else, the comma someone else doesn't necessarily mean that they wrote it. At the same time, or co-wrote it, it could have been someone that right. came in later, right? So that's so that is my suspicion is that the the Davis brothers were the ones who wrote the initial script, and then A. Whitney Brown, like they they submitted the script, and it was probably bought, and then A. Whitney Brown was hired to do some polish, yeah. and like, you know, touch up work. That is that's my suspicion. Yeah, that makes the way sense. that the credits are written on the screen. Um, the last person I want to talk about before we get into this episode. Um, is the lead actor M. Emmett Walsh, who is one of the ultimate, oh, that guy, character actors. (laughs) He has over 200 roles to his uh, name. He still works today. He was most, the thing I most recently saw him in is he has a very small role in Knives Out. Um, And he's, he's just been in a ton of stuff. He's in Blade Runner. He's in, um, what are some of his other credits that popped out at me? He's in Harry and the Hendersons. 
Uh, he's in The Jerk. He's in Wild Wild West. I know a movie you have a soft spot for, for mm-hmm. its absurdity. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, for oh, me, oh, he's the his, voice of the uh, cosmic owl in Adventure Time. Uh huh. Yeah. Wow. Um, for me, the highlight of his career, and this is going to be my recommendation corner, is um, the Coen Brothers' first movie, Blood Simple. Mm-hmm. He is the the PI in that movie. Um, that movie's great. Like I, I'm a I'm a big Coen Brothers fan in general, and this film is a ve- and Blood Simple is a very basic version of what they would go on to do, but it's really tightly scripted. It's wonderfully acted. It's it is not a horror story per se, but definitely has a very similar EC Comics energy that uh, Tales from the Crypt is doing five years later. It was released in 1984, um, but it, it just it's just a bunch of people making bad decisions and then the repercussions of those bad decisions that they've made. You know, classic Cohen stuff. Um, but he's fantastic in that. So if you haven't seen Blood Simple, definitely check it out. Okay, so I was curious and I looked up his IMDb and... Uh, It looks like he was in one of my favorite episodes of The X-Files, which is called The Unnatural. Mm -hmm. Um, That, if I remember correctly, I'm going to have to go and rewatch it. Uh, It has to do with, like, aliens and um, baseball. And it's, it's one of the best episodes. I believe it was written by David Duchovny. Um, yeah, it could be directed no, it was, and written by David yes, Duchovny. Yes, you're right. He it was written and directed by David Duchovny. Yeah, wow. so great. Uh, so episode. yeah, so M. Emmett Walsh, just one of those guys who just has gotten around, done a ton of work, uh, is just you know has been on that grind since 1969. So uh, much respect to M. Emmett Walsh um, for his work here and elsewhere. Um, so with that, uh, you ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we open on the Crypt Keeper in the Crypt, and he's sitting on this gigantic statue head with the book of different tales in his lap, which is the first time that I've looked at this, you know, setting that he's in. I'm like, what is the Crypt actually? Like, it's there's no mythology to the show. Like, there's not, like, the first episode of the show just, like, basically is like, hey, I'm going to tell you a story. There's never an explanation of where we are, what's going on, because the opening montage is you basically going through a haunted house. Mm-hmm. But then when you like get into the episodes himself, he's like in this giant, it's like a cavernous museum almost. Um, and so for whatever reason, like this episode is the one where it's like, what is this space? So just strange I've observation. I've never really thought about it, but I also wonder if each uh, vignette is filmed per episode or if they just filmed them all at once right well and and this is one where they definitely like had fun with the set dressing like getting this gigantic statue head and having him set atop of it it's just like it's incongruous to anything else that happens in the episode it's just a cool shot opening shot of like oh that's neat um and then of course or uh we're introduced to uh the crypt keepers very fake looking dog peeves <laughs> Well, I like how he sets that up because he says, I'd like to introduce you to my pet, Peeves. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Which I will admit, it wasn't until he he says, now we're going to talk about some other people who have pet peeves. Like, oh, right. That's a pun. Yeah. 
we just get this weird shot of this like rubbery looking dog. Uh, and then that transitions us into our episode proper uh, collection completed. Um, and we cut to a long shot sort of scanning this home. We see lots of uh, pets and pet paraphernalia kind of scattered around. You know, it's a it's an animal lover's home, uh, animals of all kinds. And so it's just got lots of animals in it and knickknacks and all that. I actually have to say that I really liked this intro. I actually like watched it several times. No, it's um, really smart set yeah. dressing for the episode to come. Yeah, and the music works really well. The music in the entire episode works really well, which is really interesting to hear that Mary Lambert was a music video director because mm-hmm. I think you can it, it comes through her use of music. Um, but yeah, I thought the intro was really really great at setting the tone and making it interesting. Um, but also it has some really interesting nods to what's going to happen in the, uh, in the episode later. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's a, it's a really strong opening and like setting, like nothing's happened and there's already sort of this eerie, like something's off tone from, from the very opening. You're like, oh, there's something creepy going on. And for the majority of this episode, nothing like supernatural or weird or even horrifying is happening. It's just people living their lives together and it's also uh sort of like increasing unsettling type of feeling throughout the episode Mm -hmm. right i do want to say one thing that i really liked about the intro was there was a a zoom on a uh, on some cat figurines that i thought was really really great um because it's not just like here are some cat figurines but then they zoom in on one that is just looking directly at you and mm-hmm. uh it's just really creepy no you can definitely tell that lambert and her cinematographer are having fun with the set yeah. like they they set up this whole space and then they just like explore it and find funny things and then like edit it together really interestingly to like set the mood for what's about to come mm-hmm. um no it reminded me a lot of um and all through the house has a very similar intro of just like scanning through a home and just kind of like setting a specific mood before you get going into the actual story. Um, so yeah, strong opening. Uh, we meet Anita, uh, who is throwing us a retirement party. Um, and she keeps talking to somebody in the other room saying like, Oh, he's going to be here any minute where, you know, it, it, that there's some kind of celebration going on. Um, and then there's a knock at the door. She opens it, and it's uh, a stray cat who's lost in the rain, who she immediately takes into her home and names. Um, she names her Mew Mew. And is that was the cat wet? Uh, it was not. No, not especially. <laughs> really, <laughs> May have been cause... like a little damp, but it was not like a <laughs> soaked cat. So it wasn't a wet ass pussy. No, it, it it was it was not a wet ass pussy, Sassy. Boo. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so she she brings this cat in, and then a moment later, her husband Jonas knocks on the door, and he tells her that she just like because she got distracted by the cat, she just shut the door right in his face. Um, and this is where I'm going to first mention. Jonas is the surliest human being who's ever lived on planet Earth. Like, he's just pissy about everything. Yeah. And and I think Walsh really sells that just, like, 
constant consternation and just like annoyance at every living thing in his proximity. Um, so, you know, they, he, he has his box. So he's just retired. He has this box of all his stuff that he got from the office and he is trying to help him with them. He's trying not to get help. And then Mew Mew not, uh, trips him over and everything falls on the floor and Jonas yells at the cat. And it's just this whole, it's this immediate establishment of like, Oh, Jonas has got real bad anger issues. Um, and doesn't know how to communicate with his wife and doesn't know what's going on in his own home uh, is all established within this like first interaction that we see. Um, we see here for a moment that he, I, so it's, it's explained that he worked for a tool company of something. He was like, he was like a sales manager for a tool company. And as a gift, he was given this like hammer thing. Did you recognize what this tool was supposed to be? Yeah. I just thought it was a hammer or a, mallet of some kind right it's like this like mini sledgehammer basically i didn't really tell was it like made out of silver or that's what it looked like gold? to me it was like some kind of silver yeah i don't think Probably it's gold silver, i definitely think it's yeah. silver so yeah he has this like ceremonial silver hammer i will say that he seemed disappointed to be getting a silver hammer after 15 years of service but i will mm -hmm. tell you that i think a silver hammer is probably one of the coolest work anniversary gifts i've seen because sure. when i worked at dell um you had like different um sort of like benchmarks and like five years was like i don't know uh, a keychain i think right and then 10 years it was a diamond studded dell uh belt oh, wow. buckle oh <laughs> Very classy, sounds but, like. Yeah, but honestly, I would I would take the silver hammer over. Sure, no sil silver hammer. Yeah. Um, and as we see, it comes very in handy if you've got murderous intentions. Spoilers. Um, I mean, like you didn't see that one coming, right? It's 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 definitely one of these things where, like, the moment it shows up, it's like, okay, so who's gonna hit who with this exactly? Hammer? It's like one hundred percent. She picks up this giant hammer, huh? <laughs> I wonder if we're gonna see that again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely like not the uh, most subtle foreshadowing. Um, so beyond, so he, he doesn't seem super excited about the hammer, but he also just in general, doesn't seem super happy to be retired. Yeah. He, he sort of says, you know, he's, he's worked for 47 years for this company was a sales leader for, you know, the last like two decades. And the moment he's 65, he's basically kicked out the door, which I don't know how you feel about this, Sessy, but like as someone who's living in this century in the generation I am, where it's like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to retire. Yeah. Him complaining about being forced to retire did not necessarily elicit a lot of sympathy from me. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I get it's this idea of like, he's dedicated himself to this life and then all, and, he, and he's forced out. Like, I get like why that would be discouraging to be told that you couldn't work anymore, at least from his perspective. That's what he's been told. Um, but it is one of those things where it's like, I can't wait to retire, Sessie. Oh, yeah. I was built for retirement life. Yeah. And I also think it's interesting that we are told that the American dream is you work hard and then you retire and you enjoy your retirement, right? But right. yet we see how there, this isn't the only story I've ever seen or read where 
it involves a person who retires and is immediately unhappy that they have lost their identity. Right. Well, I think that 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 is like the major through line of this story is that Jonas is a guy who completely defines himself by his work. Yeah. And once that's no longer there, he has no like he he doesn't want to spend time with his wife. He doesn't like having he doesn't want any hobbies like he just he wants to be productive in some way or another. Um, but because he's been forced to retire, he has no idea of what that could be. Mm-hmm. And so everything is irritating and everything like throws him off because he's, he's just, he's feels worthless. Um, because he doesn't have this job anymore. Meanwhile, his wife has it all figured out. Yeah. Just get as many animals. I knew that you would appreciate it. Just get as many <laughs> animals as you can in your home. Yeah. That that's the way to live. Um, so they have this conversation about him retiring and then he sits down, there's a cat toy on his chair and it squeaks and he loses it. Like someone just punched him in the kidney. I will say that I have never seen a cat toy like that. Right. It's clearly a dog toy. Right? Yes. I, Cause I originally, I originally wrote down dog toy because that's clearly what it is because cats don't really like squeak. Yeah. toys. And so, yeah, he sits down on this, like what's clearly a dog toy and Anita's like, I don't know why. I don't. I can't imagine why the cats would have put it there. It's like a cat did not put that there, Anita. If anyone <laughs> put it there, it would be a dog. So, no, I I had the exact same moment where I wrote dog toy, and then she attributes it to being a cat toy. I was like, oh, I guess. But I'm glad that we had the same reaction. Like that is clearly a dog toy. Yes. Um, that he sits on. Um. So, at this point, Jonas tells her, "Hey, guess what." Your man's home. You don't need any more pets. That cat you just brought in from the rain, that's going out. That's not really addressed again. But he's basically just saying, we don't need any more pets. I'm here now. We're going to be spending more time together. Um, He also says that he's too tired to party. And he goes to bed. And that's when we learn, we uh, see Anita open the door to the kitchen and her party guests were all her animals. Like, Three dogs, ten cats. It was so a, cute. A virtual, and they're all wearing party hats and stuff. Yeah, this so is really the cutest party ever. It is very, it's very bummed that she's not get to have her uh, animals and Jonas only. Yeah, uh, retirement party. I mean, he really missed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he wakes up. He he's frustrated because he thinks he's oversleeps, and his wife's like, "Hey, guess what? You don't have to go to work." He's like, "Oh, right." But still can't get back to sleep. Um, so he gets up, and this leads to my favorite part of this episode: man unable to shit because his wife won't leave the restroom. I have to say that this whole so just to try to illustrate what happens up to this point, like there are several several points where he goes into the bathroom. Clearly, he wants to potty very first thing but he doesn't because his wife is uh brushing her teeth so he's like okay well i guess i'll brush my teeth and they're just kind of in each other's way the whole time right they're like right next to each other they don't have double sinks so they're right right next to each other and it's uh it's kind of clear that uh anita has her sort of morning ritual kind of down and this is what yeah. she does every morning and she's not used to sharing that time with someone else. Um, and what I thought was interesting is that, oh, this was me at the beginning of the pandemic. Because mm-hmm. 
I would always wake up when my spouse went to work. Essentially, like him, his car leaving was the sound that would wake me up every morning. So I got used to waking up and doing my whole morning routine kind of by myself. And then when lockdown started, it was like, oh, well, this is different. <laughs> right. No, it's definitely like when when uh, we've recently moved, but when the pandemic started, my wife and I were living in a pretty small apartment. It definitely felt like we were living on top of each other when we first had to both work from home. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I had a definitely like same sympathy of like, I get this, like, especially like for early on, like you have your like rhythms of how you do things and just like getting into the habit of like sharing physical space can take some time. Um, I, I thought it was interesting my- too, that uh, Jonas essentially, instead of saying, Hey, I have to poop. He says, <laughs> I have to sit down. Uh, yes. So I wanted to go through this whole, because it's like a full, like, three stooges routine. So they're brushing teeth together, and then they both go down to spit at the same time, and they bonk their heads together um, with with comic timing. Jonas bends over to pick something up, and as he's bending over, his glasses are in his pocket, fall into oh, the toilet. Yeah. yeah. Um, Anita announces she's going to take a morning bath like a lunatic. <laughs> I don't know who takes baths first thing in the morning, but Anita does. So she's like, I'm going to take my morning bath. And Joe's is like, um, could you please do that another time? And she's like, this is what I always like. Like you were saying, like, this is her routine. She always takes her bath first thing in the morning. Nephi was like, you're going to make me say it. I have to sit down. Which. It's. Especially hilarious. for being a, a Tales from the Crypt episode. This episode is like. Like, there are a couple of goddamns, but, like, for as surly as Jonas is, he does not curse much. Yeah. Like, so he, he doesn't say, I have to take a shit. He says, I have to sit down, which is such an old-timey way of saying, I mean, I guess he's supposed to be, you know, an older person at yeah. this point. But, yeah, it's just, it's it's uh, very quaint. Well, I do, I do wonder if it also points to him not being comfortable with his wife that he can't say, hey, look. Oh, I thought we were going to say, because he can't shit in front of her. I was like, Susie, have you ever shit oh, in front no, of your spouse? No. <laughs> Unacceptable. Never. Uh, no, but it's like you have to be able to at least say, like, hey, I... I need I need the room for, like, two seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, after that great uh, whole routine, we cut to Anita cooking the biggest breakfast steak I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah. But it's she, great, though, Jonas, because it makes you think, like, oh, how nice of her. She's cooking a steak for her husband. I guess they're going to have right. steak you, and you, eggs. You haven't quite gotten into the gimmick of what this episode is doing. So, you, yeah, you immediately assume it's for Jonas, that she's trying to make something nice for him. Um, and Jonas comes in, and they have this whole conversation. One of the things, like, again, talking about how I was built for retirement, Anita's like, oh, you know, you can go in your chair and watch TV and fall asleep during the day. And he's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sit around watching TV. I was like, Jonas, my dude, you have no idea what I would give <laughs> for every day of my life to be sitting in an easy chair watching television. Yeah. Um, but he's complaining about that and about how his, how, again, complaining about how his uh, retirement was mandatory. Um, and at this point, this is when Anita picks up that big juicy steak she's been working on and throws it on the ground for a dog to eat. Which, and Jonas is, I will say, you know me. I'm an animal lover. Mm-hmm. At different points in my life, I've had four dogs and two rabbits living in my house. Right. A steak? 
You've never cooked any of your animals a steak before. No. That's... <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, like an exp- it was a big steak, too. It looked yeah. like a fairly uh, significant piece of meat. Yeah, and, well, first of all, it was the entire steak. Like, I'm not sure that a dog can eat right properly enjoy an entire steak well not it's not even the enjoyment part it's like i'm not sure if their teeth (laughs) i mean maybe they can but like i just the logistics of that like she didn't even cut it up or anything it's very looney tunes yeah just like this giant steak definitely this whole episode is very looney tunes and sort of its tenor um so so jonas and instead gets basically like one of those like, you you know, when you were, like, a kid and you get the individual boxes of cereal, he gets one of those, but it's for, like, generic brand cereal. Uh, and so he gets that. Because that's going to help him sit down later. Right. Yeah, it'll <laughs> help his sitting <laughs> habit he's got. Uh, Jonas is, of course, mad about all this. And then a bird, again, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, that's worth getting a little upset about. And then a bird like lands on a bird feeder outside and he loses it about that too. So I was like, okay, so Jonas is just mad at everything. I'm pretty sure it was a crow. I mean, it's a big bird. Like I'm her, not saying. His wife is friends with crows. I yeah, mean. His wife is friends with all animals, as we learn. If she's, yeah, I mean, if she's like a cool Disney princess. You know, like right. she has all these animals just like mm-hmm. being friends with her. And yeah, I, how can he not see how cool That he has she the is? perfect woman in yeah. his home. <laughs> if you can befriend crows, I feel yeah. like you're pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so Jonas goes down to his basement workshop to do some kind of handiwork. Um, and then uh, his neighbor, Roy, who's got a extensive collection of track suits that he wears throughout <laughs> the episode, uh, comes down, ill-fitting track suits, I should say, uh, comes down to the basement and is like, hey, you know what you should do? Make model planes like me. And uh, he's like, and oh, Jonas says he, he he's not interested in picking up a hobby because he doesn't see it as being protected. Like, Jonas is fully like invest in this idea of like he has to be doing something productive yeah um so uh what he decides to do instead is he gets these pruning shears and just goes ape on these bushes out in his yard uh there are a couple scenes of him doing this and yeah really and he's going... not good at it at all he's not no if, if he's trying to make like an attractive shape he's just murdering this plant is is all he's doing he's just taking his aggression out on this plant um, and Roy kind of talks to him about all the animals he's been ta- uh, that uh, Nita's been taking care of, including like squirrel, like like you were saying, like ravens and squirrels, and like not even just domesticated animals, but just whoever like comes across her. And Nita's like, "These are my friends and my pets." Well, I think the and, the neighbor says like, "Oh, she's great with animals." There's this one time we saw a squirrel like come up to her and I think like get on her shoulder, and he's right. like, "Squirrels, tree yeah. rats." <laughs> It's, it's every every minute or so, it's like Jonas remembers the concept of animals and gets really mad about it. I feel um, like I've yeah, never like, met someone that hates animals that as much as Jonas. Yeah, all animals. Like, yeah. like, indiscriminately, he at least consistently hates all animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we cut to another dining scene where 
Anita feeds Jonas a sandwich that's filled with cat food. Um, and he gets upset well, about that. Which it was a little. I I like the setup of this joke because okay, that, that that's tuna, and then he's like, yes, mm. yeah, because well, she hands him a sandwich. It's interesting too because she gives him the sandwich and she says it's tuna. And then he says right. it tastes funny, and he opens it, and you see it, and you're like, huh, that looks <laughs> like really weird tuna. Mm-hmm. So when he goes, uh, Jonas goes over to the trash can and pulls up a, dag- uh, a can of cat food, you're like, oh, okay, that explains why the tuna looks so weird. Right. Because for a second, I was like, yeah, that that's the worst tuna I've ever seen. I didn't know if it was a bad prop or what. No, I think, yeah, I think it's it's a... Because what's establishing is this idea that she has more food for animals than she does mm-hmm. people in the house. Yeah. Like, like that she's been so mindlessly feeding animals that she grabs the same can of tuna that she would feed to a cat to feed her husband. Um. And then this bulldog that we had seen earlier wanders in. And this is where we learn that Anita's named this, like, neighborhood uh, bulldog after Jonas. She calls the dog Jonas. She says, well, he reminds me of you. And then we cut between Walsh and this dog both having very similar scowls on their face. Yeah. That's a funny little bit. And after this, I had to always write down in my notes, Jonas the dog. Jonas the human or Jonas the dog? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah, because Jonas comes back up again. So yeah, I, I, I only when the scene when they're together do I really specify which one I'm talking about. Um, so we cut to another scene. At this point, this episode just kind of turns into a series of vignettes of Jonas and Anita's uh, horrific home life. Um, Jonas has a cough. Uh, he says it's just a cold, and he suggests it's a hairball. Jonas expectedly freaks out at the idea that she would he would, she would suggest he has a hairball. Um, Jonas is trying to watch TV, but literally on every channel there's something animal related, so he just turns off the TV. I also like uh, at the very beginning of that scene, you can hear the TV, and someone is saying that their dog has the spirit of Elvis inside them. Yes, there's there's like some <laughs> weird talk show where someone's talking about their dog having the spirit of Elvis in it. Uh, and then it's like there's an episode of Lassie and there's some other thing that he's just kind of like flipping through. And he's like, everything on TV is about animals. I hate it. Um, So he asks Anita to get an aspirin. Uh, and she brings it back to him, but she hides it in a brownie. Which, again, like, here's the thing is like all the things Anita does are weird and disconcerting. But instead of showing, like, concern, Jonas just gets mad every time. But also, I didn't think, personally, I didn't think it was that big a deal. If anything, I'm like, huh, why haven't I thought about putting my medication in brownies? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I would say, I feel like they kind of uh, start with a showstopper with the steak scene. Like, that's the most egregious thing, I think. Both both in terms of the insult of giving the dog better food than you're giving the person, but also the, the, uh, the waste of throwing Mm -hmm. this, this decent looking steak to an animal. um, I think. uh, Which to be fair, I am not, I'm just going to take the bold stance right here, right now that I'm not anti giving your dogs steaks. 
Right. You're you're all for dogs having people food. On yes. Yes. As a treat. <laughs> yes. Yes. As a special <laughs> birthday treat, not a random. Yes. Not every meal. morning. Yeah. <laughs> Right, because, like, again, because she's had this, like, strict routine, you imagine this is what she's been doing every morning, every day he's been going to work. Yeah. Which also, I mean, the expense. Yeah, and then he he mentions that. He's like, is this what I've been paying for? (laughs) Is for you to feed your dog steaks every day? Um. Uh. So, Jonas and Roy have a conversation about, um how Jonas is having a hard time adjusting to domestic retired life. Oh, before we get to that conversation, I do want to point something out. Sure. That when, when Jonas is talking to Anita after she tries to give him the brownie with the aspirin in it, he looks at her and he says, I'm not an animal. I'm a human being. And I feel <laughs> like that was the only moment in the show where he had any sort of like he expresses what actually is bothering him yeah and where you actually felt bad for him mm-hmm. even though i, yeah, he's I a, disagree he's generally very unsympathetic throughout this even though like yes his his wife is acting strangely throughout like you never are like oh man jonas is getting a raw end of this deal you're like and chill out dude I don't think that she's acting strangely. I just think uh, that she really likes animals and she... <laughs> I, I, I'm sensing that you have a lot of defensiveness about Anita's yes. behavior in this regard. Now, again, I, I, I'm not... I wouldn't feed my dog steak every morning. Uh, but, like, if... But you're not going to hate somebody who might. Yeah. Or I'm not going to think that there's something wrong with them. Sure, that's fair. Um, I would definitely say that she does seem to be neglecting her husband, but right. I don't blame her because the guy is a because he seems jerk. like kind of an a hole. Yeah, it's more to me her being nicer to the animals than she is to Jonas is more a symbol that their marriage is not great. And that right, this is this is not a happy married couple. Yeah, and and so she's moved on to show her affection and get her emotional needs met from her cackle of animal friends. Right, it's kind of implied, you know, like that, that it's just the two of them. They've just been kind of that. She's just been a home wife, just staying at home to herself. He's been off working, and now they have to figure out a way to live together. Yeah. Outside of weekends and mm-hmm. afternoons. And neither of them is really doing the work to to do that. Right. Well, perfect segue, because that's basically what Roy says, is that basically like, listen, me, Roy, tracksuit enthusiast and relationship <laughs> expert, uh, thinks that you and your wife just need to talk about, like, your feelings on this situation. Like, you just need to sit down and talk out, like, your perspectives and what what you're feeling and what you need in this relationship and jonas is like you know what that's actually a good idea i'm probably going to do that we cut to and at this point like this is similar to the steak situation like we cut to a scene where anita's having a heart-to-heart conversation to somebody but we at this point we know she's not talking to jonas this way Mm -hmm. uh and so we she's like talking about um all these different things you know like we need to support each other blah 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 it's like 
you know, uh, and then the way I rub your belly and you lick my hand. And at that point we cut over and we see that she's having this conversation with her cat. Uh, and not only do we see this, but Jonas is saying this and says, does he like that? She's having a compassionate conversation with her kitty cat. Not at all. No, he does not like that at all. He thinks that is very strange. And that, uh, that's nearly the final straw. He needs to get out of his aggression as his wife talking to their cat. He gets the pruning shears and he goes to town on this poor, poor shrubbery that he has. Um, and then while he's doing it, Mew Mew, the cat, is sort of wandering through his garden. And he's like, you know what? I've had it with this cat. I'm going to kill it with these shears. And so he like is chasing the cat with the shears. But the cat is too fast for him and he falls face first into the mud. I have to say um, that I was very concerned for Mew Mew at this point. Right. Yeah. Like, no, it, it definitely is. This is the, you're like, is this the turning point? Is this when we see a cat get skewered by these shears. Like how, how raw is this episode going to go? Um, but Mew Mew does get away. Jonas falls face first into the mud is covered in mud. Um, and then uh, my second favorite scene in this episode, after Ben tries to take a shit while his wife won't leave the restroom is Jonas goes up. He's like, just sort of stalks upstairs, defeated, covered in mud. Doesn't take off any of his clothes. Just wa- is walking straight into the bathroom Anita's leaving with all this gear and it's like, oh, I'm, uh, wait a second. I'm cleaning the fish. Like, doesn't fish the word, but it's clearly about to say fish. And then Jonas goes into the bathtub, looks down, and the bathtub is filled with, like, koi and catfish. Like, these gigantic fish, which, Ceci, again, you are more the animal expert than I. Is cleaning fish a thing? She's cleaning the fish tank. Is she cleaning the fish tank? Oh, okay. That's what's going on. Yeah. She's cleaning, the fi- she, she's cleaning the fish tank, but she has to put the fish somewhere while she's doing that. Yes. So she's put them all in the bathtub. But also, so all these- before, I think she comes out when he's doing that really bad trimming job on the hedges. And she's like, hey, I'm right. going to go clean the fish tank. Oh, uh, did she say it before? Okay, I just yeah. missed that. Okay, and, so she's yeah. cleaning the fish tank. And so all the fish are in the... Are in the tub, mm-hmm. and he just looks down, and all these fish are cu- touching his feet, and that is the final straw for Jonas. He's at it, not even touching his feet; so they're touching his boots. Like I don't yeah. get why he's—he acts like he's just seen someone get murdered. Yeah, he, he like screams. Yeah, he's so mad and scared. Like he seems scared of these fish. Um. So we cut forward, and. Jonas comes in dressed very dapperly, looking very handsome in like a 1940s suit. Um, and he tells his wife he's figured out the perfect hobby. Um, he, he like is walking to the kitchen and he even slips on a dog toy, but he doesn't even seem to mind anymore. Whatever hobby he's picked, it's cured his bad attitude and he is a new man. Um, and then we see Jonas in his workshop. He's wearing like a conductor's uniform. He's like got this like jaunty cap and like uh, coveralls. Um, and then we see Roy and Anita talking. They're kind of talking about like all the things that have been going on and how uh, Jonas finally has a hobby. And and then they started talking about like how they haven't seen Jonas the dog. This is where we have to distinguish between <laughs> yes. Jonas the dog and Jonas the person. Mm-hmm. 
So Jonas, the dog has been missing. And Anita is getting concerned about it because one of her animal friends is missing. So she goes down to talk to, to Jonas, the person, and is like, have you seen Jonas, the dog? To which Jonas, the person tells her, hey, why don't you go look out back? I think I heard him barking out there. And that's when Anita goes outside to see a incredibly fake looking Jonas, the dog animatronic. Because not So we learn that Jonas is not only to pick up taxidermy, but apparently very basic animatronics on the side. Uh, and so he is taking her animals and and stuffing, like killing them and stuffing them. And putting uh, like, not like LED lights, but like, yeah. yeah like, and like, light, yeah, like headlights and stuff. Like yeah. Like, like, I think Jonas is the only one that we really see like this full treatment to, but he really does a job on Jonas. I guess he um, hated him the most. Yeah. Uh, we see some of his other stuffed animals. Like, I gotta say, for an amateur, Jonas does a pretty good job stuffing some of those animals that look extremely fake. Also, he did it real quick. Yeah, he, he got he he did it real quick. He picked up the skills really quickly. He, it was like he was born to do this. Um, as a man who hates animals, he finally found a way to take that passion and do something constructive with it. Um, so Anita obviously like freaks out. Um, and from here on out, when when I mention Jonas, I mean Jonas the person, because Jonas the dog is now a toy. Uh, she is talking to Jonas, and he basically implies, oh, like, I've, I've almost stuffed all your animals. And she's like, what about Mew Mew? And she starts, which I don't fully get why her most recent animal is the one that she cares about the most. Maybe it's because he was sad in the rain. Mm-hmm. Um, but she... She starts running through the house trying to find Mew Mew. Um, and she finds other she finds like a stuffed squirrel and other stuffed animals. She eventually goes down back to the basement and Jonas, while she's been running around, gets out all of his products that he has made and has filled the basement with all the different stuffed animals that he's he's done. Um, I do want to clarify that these are not cute stuffed animals. No, these these yeah, these are taxidermied animals. Like they are they're not. Like like these are all like I'm trying to think of how to talk about this. Like, they're prop animals, like, mm-hmm. in reality. Yeah. But these are clearly, like... It's creepy. They're they're not real taxidermied animals, but in the context of the world, they are they are actual taxidermied pets of Anita's. That he has, in, at some point, killed everybody, killed all of them, stuffed them, without her noticing that all her animals were going away. But, still... So he explains to her, you know, he kind of he kind of goes into like almost a villain monologue mode. Where he's talking about how you know you would expect the bigger animals to be harder, but actually it's the smaller animals. Which is one of the things like he says that as if that's like a like surprising part. Like, no, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I get that. Like, you need less material, but like the meticulousness of it, I would imagine, would be more difficult. Um, and this is when he reveals that he has already had he already has Mew Mew. And she is the next victim to be killed and stuffed. Um, Anita first tries to reason with Jonas, but eventually like sees that that, that's not going to go anywhere. So she rushes at him. He knocks her back. And what does he knock her into, Sessie? The hammer. The hammer. That hammer we saw at the very beginning. She sees the hammer, picks him up, and just wallops him across the head with it. 
Uh, and then we get one of those fun, like, page-turning cuts to the living room where Anita and Jonas are sitting, watching Lassie, just having a very domestic time. Roy drops by, not in a uh, sweatsuit, um, just to see how everything's going, how Jonas is adjusting. And then reveals, and, and we get this news saying that Jonas has really settled down to retired life, and we cut to reveal that Jonas has been stuffed poorly. Like, he's got stitches. I think the idea is supposed to be that she hit him so hard that his face fell off or something, because his yeah. face has been, like, stitched back on. Uh, but, so she, so he's been, he has been killed and stuffed and is now just, like, on the recliner. I love how easily uh, people pick up taxidermy, you know? No, apparently it's a very easy skill to pick up <laughs> uh, because we have two people who have picked it up in a matter of moments. I guess Jonas does establish that bigger animals are not as hard as you'd think. Right, and he's yeah, he's he's, he's mostly round, so <laughs> I, I, I don't imagine he would have been all that difficult to stuff, per se. Um, and then we cut back to the Crypt Keeper, who is no longer on his head or with Peeves, and he tells us to sit, sit, stay, and play dead. Tells us all we're good boys, and the episode is over. He does have a nice pun where he says, well, I guess Jonas learned that our hobby can be very self-fulfilling, as long as you're not too stuffy about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that... that... <laughs> The 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 puns per minute of the Crypt Caper episodes definitely make up for the lack of him in the majority of the yes. episode. Um, so uh, that's that episode. Um, trigger warning if like harm to animals is something that you just can't deal with. Uh, even though this one is, it's very silly. We like, probably should have said that at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Uh, this episode is very silly though. Um, so I don't think it's like all like that. The most nervous episodes, I agree. It's that scene where he's chasing her with the shears. Yeah. Like that, that moment is definitely like scarier than the whole final reveal. I find. Yeah. Um, but if that's, if that's a deal breaker for you, this episode is definitely not going to be up your alley for sure. Yeah. I guess we should clarify that we never see any actual violence against the animals. Yeah. It's all, it's all done off screen. Yeah. Um, we see implied violence towards animals, but no animals are actually like no. We don't ever see an animal being killed on yeah. screen. John Wick, <laughs> you gotta see it. Um, wait, you haven't seen so, John Wick? No, no. I'm saying that like in the context of that movie, I think oh. you have to see that particular act because it's so like paramount to like the structure of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so this is where we give our judgment of this episode. Is this a keeper or is this a stinker? So I'm going to let you go first. This is tough. Um, because since we got rid of our middle category. Yes, I was going to say that. <laughs> yes. I, this is the definition of a middle category. Yeah. Uh, like if, if we still had thinker, I think this would be a textbook example of a thinker. Yeah. Of like, but since there are we don't things have I like that... and things I really don't like about this episode. Yeah, since we don't have that as an option, and I don't think it's so bad as to call it a stinker, I would definitely say it's a keeper. Um, 
because it's just funny. Like, I mean, it's not laugh out loud, super funny, but it's like, it's got a couple chuckles and it's, it's quirky and just kind of, I don't know. It's just kind of funny. Yeah. No, I, I, I would agree with that. I think I came into this to this conversation thinking I was going to say stinker. And the more I talked about it and the more I've like remembered beat by beat of it, I think it's more of a keeper too. I think it's, it's a real borderline for me. Yeah. If, I guess if we're going by that. I think the word, judge. the word I was thinking about is silly. It is very silly. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's not a whole lot of jokes per se, other than the whole three stooges bathroom slapstick routine. Um, but it's not like everybody is playing this thing very broadly and not like realistically at all. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing, there's no performance in this episode that feels like a real human being would ever act. Yeah. Um, and it's much more um, impressionistic and much more uh, gesturing at these ideas of like uh, trying to establish domestic life after basically a lifetime apart. And what does that look like? Well, and then Um, also what I think is interesting is like there's these nuggets of things that are interesting. And one of them is uh, Jonas's sort of obsession with being productive um, that mm -hmm. I think is very real in our society. Um, Yeah. And he's had it hammered into him that if he's not being productive, he's not like a useful member of society. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at some point he even says, I want to be a productive citizen. Like he uses those Mm -hmm. exact words. I think I think it's interesting because, like I said earlier, you're kind of told that you work all your all your life and then you get to retire. Um, And so by by those rules, then he has he has earned his sort of i don't want to call it rest but like he has earned his retirement he has earned that right to do nothing but it's so ingrained in us that you have to be doing something productive that even in retirement it's almost like not acceptable for people to just want to sit around and do nothing and actually like enjoy their retirement years Right. And I think that as as much as, you know, I know I've given you a hard time about defending Anita's various decisions, but I think she's the other end of that scale of somebody who's found her thing and is fully like invested in her yeah. thing that makes her happy. Mm-hmm. And then when like something disrupts that routine, she has a hard time getting out yeah. of that, that, that routine. Yeah. And so, I think that's something interesting, too, about this episode is that both characters are in the wrong in a way Mm -hmm. obviously they're both confronted with having to disrupt what their life has been for the last 45 years or whatever yeah and it's it's anita not seeing her husband as someone who has different needs than all her animals and not really wanting to compromise and here's the thing she's allowed to say hey you know what i don't want to compromise i want to keep all my animals uh, and this is ha- what I want to do. She's 100% allowed to do that. But she never has that but, conversation. She just keeps apologizing and then keep doing the things that are Yeah, him. Yeah, I just feel like it really feels like these two don't really belong together. It feels like Anita was already kind of quite f- living a fulfilled life. And she really didn't need 
to be with Jonas anymore. And Jonas certainly didn't seem like someone that really appreciated his wife uh, and really wanted to spend time with her. Because he makes right. a couple of kind of derisive comments, like he said something along the lines of like, ah, oh, well, I didn't have time to sit and just chit chat with you all day. Kind of like saying that sitting down and chit chatting with his wife is like a waste of time. Right. So, no, yeah, like, yeah. Being together is not worth his time. Yeah. That's very true. Exactly. Like, throughout the entire episode, he's just trying to figure out a way to not spend time with his wife. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, clearly do. these two don't really belong together, but they they are, were also in the wrong because neither of them want to, like, make things better for themselves or for each other. And they're not, like I said, Anita is not listening to her husband and not really helping him adapt. And his husband is just also not really listening to his wife and not really valuing right. what she values. Really, Roy is the hero of the story. <laughs> yes. Of trying to tell them to like be in conversation with each other and to find ways to both make each other's life fulfilling, but also for Jonas to find something that makes his life fulfilling yeah. outside of work. Um, I think we can all agree that we stand a, a legend that is Roy. Yes. So yeah, I think uh, I think it's an interesting episode because it has those like interesting nuggets where like I don't think you know I think both characters, one more so than the other, but you know they both have their flaws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when we get to the when we get to the end, and Jonas is the one who gets brained. You don't feel bad um, for him. Yeah, you don't feel any... bad for him, yeah. and you do feel. I did feel a little bit like, damn, Anita, it's a little, it's a little extreme. But mm -hmm. to be fair, I don't know how I would react if if someone had killed and stuffed my all your animals. Yeah, yeah, because it wasn't just like two or. Five. It was like ten or fifteen. No, we cannot over. We cannot overstate how many animals. It was a room entire, entirely full yeah. of animals. Yeah. So like this guy killed a lot of animals mm. and then stuffed them. And so you yeah. know, immediately he's a villain in my book. And sure, absolutely. But yeah, I mean that still doesn't justify murder. His murder, that is. Sure. Well, I mean, within I think within the framework of a Tales from the Crypt episode, it does. But, <laughs> but yeah, you would have a hard time for me justifying murder for anything. Yeah. But I'm a, you know, bleeding heart liberal when it comes to that. And if, if there's one thing to be said about Tales from the Crypt, then, is that it does seem like a lot of the episodes kind of have that pattern of you end up having done to you what... Either what you did to others or mm. what specifically you didn't want done to yourself. Like, there's always right. that I mean, that's, that's, comeuppance. Yeah, like, that's that that's the EC Comics thing, is that, like, you, you make decisions that lead to your own demise, ultimately. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it. The, yeah, the, there's there's a weird bookend symmetry to this and the man who was death in yes. terms of them both being about somebody who takes joy in doing a thing and then has that thing done to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, 
Uh, well, great. Uh, let's uh, go to our final segment here before we close out. Uh, this is going to be um, Casting the Crypt. So did you have any actors like looking at... So this is, you know, this is a th- this is a real chamber piece. It's three roles. Did you, for any of these three roles, did someone come to your mind as who you think today would do a good job of this script and this story? I think for Anita, I could see um, Catherine O'Hara. Mm-hmm. I think she would be great. Which kind of, it, it makes me think like, ooh, what if we get... Um, the the duo, uh, Eugene to, Levy. Yes, to be uh, yeah. husband and wife because they that's that's what they seem to <laughs> always play. Uh, well, and they have such great chemistry. Yeah, that I think playing against that would be really fun. Yeah. So even though Eugene Levy doesn't really fit the character as is portrayed in this episode. <sighs> Oh, I he think he can. I can think he can do big anger really well. Yeah, like I think that like he 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 has the chops to do that. Yeah, I think that that that's a astute casting. It would be a fun little tag for folks who have watched those careers over time. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fun. I went in a slightly different direction. I I really keyed into Jonas's like es- not even escalating, but just like at eleven all the time anger throughout this episode. And I was thinking, who does sort of demented anger better than anyone? And of course, I came to the answer of Danny DeVito would be great as a Jonas, as a diminutive, small little Jonas, <laughs> uh, I think would be really good. Um, for Anita, I lean towards Carol Kane, uh, who you might know from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I think she just has sort of that that wild-eyed energy. That'd be really good. Oh, um, it's really funny few- that you mentioned her because uh, I think I've mentioned it before. We've been doing a Seinfeld rewatch mm-hmm. in my household and I I saw um I saw her literally play the exact same character that she plays in Kimmy Schmidt. Right. But I mean this that's is like yeah, 20 that, years that's ago. That's a shtick that she has been in for a while. Um <laughs> but I think she would be a good Anita. And Roy, the hero of her story Roy, I think there's only one man who is built to play that that role. And as of course the incredible Wallace Shawn would be great as Roy. Uh, I don't think so that's, I'm familiar. That's my cast. Walshon, he's um, oh, what's his name? He he's the um. Oh, he's the guy from um from Princess, Princess Bride. Bride. Yeah, he's uh Grand Nagus Sec in uh mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine. Yeah, he's the voice great. of Rex in Toy Story. Like just one of the one of the all time great dweebish actors. Yes. No, he's one of those guys that, like, you might not know his name, but you know his face. The moment you see him, you're like, oh, that guy. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah I, I don't know why I couldn't remember any of his character names mm-hmm. when when, I, when a push comes to shove. But yeah, Walshon playing jumpsuit-loving, plane kit-building Roy. Perfect casting. I stick to it. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, please uh, tell folks about us, rate and review on your podcatcher of choice, get the word out. You know, the best way for us to grow and expand is through your recommendations. You can follow us on Twitter at Crip Speakers. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay the Cake Thief. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sussy Korea. I also want to thank uh, Molly Fancher for the use of our intro and outro music, Mr. N. You can find them on Bandcamp. 
And uh, with all that said, until next time, kitties. Why don't we have a sign off?